with me in your Bibles this evening, Genesis chapter 28. It's the first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 28. There is an issue in today's world of loneliness. We live in a time of connectivity. We live in a time where hundreds of people can be at your fingertips at any moment, but yet our generation is more lonely than ever before. Why is that? Bill Hybels explains it this way. He says, we live with a me-first mindset. This mindset says, indulge yourself, fulfill your desires, satiate your appetites, pursue pleasure, take off all restraints. With this mindset comes an elusive promise. That is, if you seek first your own good and satisfy your own desires, then you will be happy. In print, on television, and in the movies, over and over we hear the lie. The road to contentment, satisfaction, fulfillment, and true joy is marked with a street sign flashing, me first. People are pathologically self-centered and ignore the needs of others. And the me first mindset is controlling many lives, even the lives of those who call themselves followers of Christ. That is what Bill Hybel says. And in our text tonight, we see Jacob find the results of a me-first mindset, which results in separation from his own life and from God himself. But it is in this place of despair and separation that he finds what he truly needed all along, and it is the same thing that we all need as well. It is a life lived pursuing a relationship with God, regardless of how we find ourselves living a life of separation, desperation, and anxiety. It is God who can help us out of this place and live a life of purpose on destiny with Him and for Him. So let's look at our text this evening, Genesis chapter 28, verses 18 and 19, which says, and we'll be covering surrounding verses as well, which says, So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he put under his head, and he set, up, he set up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, but in the name of that city was Luz at first. This evening I want to preach a sermon I've entitled, The God of the House of God. Let's pray. Father God, help us this evening, God, that we would be open and willing, God, to hear directly from you tonight, God, that we would not lean, God, on our own understanding, God, but seek your, uh, your word and your will for us this evening, God, by your spirit, God, minister to each of us this evening, in Jesus' name, amen. So we find in this text, or rather right before this text, that Jacob comes to a place of separation. He's living in desperation, you see, leading up to this, Jacob had stolen his brother's birthright, and he did it in a deceptive, of course you can't steal without being deceptive, but he did it to deceive his own father. He was deceiving to achieve. And so, as the story goes, 
he, he deceives his father, he deceives his brother to steal the birthright of his brother. And if you don't know, in this day and age, they had what was the, called the birthright, and it was due to the oldest son. Esau was the oldest son, not Jacob. And so he pretended to be Esau, and he goes into his father's room as his father is, is losing his eyesight and coming to the end of his life. And he pretends to be Esau so that he can steal his brother's birthright. Now Esau, his brother, having his birthright stolen by Jacob, makes a vow that he will kill his brother Jacob as soon as his father dies. He's got enough respect for his father to not do it in his father's lifetime, but he says, as soon as dad's gone, you're gone too. That's basically what he said. Now the story continues, and Jacob hears that his brother uh, has a plan to to uh, kill him. So Jacob now goes on the run. He runs for his life. He runs from his family. He runs from his mistakes. And Jacob lied and cheated to find success in his life. But ultimately, he comes to a place where he realizes it's not working. It didn't work. And he found himself alone and on the run for his life, literally, and on his journey in our text, we see him come to this place that the Bible calls Luz. We see in our text, verse 19, it says, He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was Luz at first. Now, names in this culture, in this day and age, mean a lot to these people. They don't just name stuff because they think it sounds cool. Like, you get these people that have babies and they're like, I'm going to name her Jezebel because it's a cute name. It's like, bro, you don't know what that name means, do you? People do that today. But back then, they cared tremendously about the names that they gave, whether it be to people or to cities. Usually it had a story and a meaning behind it. And this city, Luz, the name of that city, literally means to turn aside, to depart, to cause separation, and to perverse. It's interesting that Jacob somehow finds himself in this place. The definition speaks of separation, but also of perversion. Now, in modern language usage, when we think of perversion, usually the first thing we go to is like sexual immorality, like peeping toms and things like that. And it can be used to apply to that, but the definition of the word perversion is actually more simple than that. It is this, speaking of a person or their actions, Showing a deliberate and obstinate desire to behave in a way that is unreasonable or unacceptable, often in spite of the consequences. So perversion is an intentional behavior that is clearly wrong or against something. So this implies that Luz, the city that he came to, meaning to cause separation and perversion, means basically causing separation by departing from doing right and intentionally doing wrong. You see, Jacob was not just at some city called Luz. His life was Luz. His spiritual life, his mental life, and even now his physical life was a life of separation, of perversion, of deception. And this place that he was physically in was actually the way you would define his life regardless of what city he was in. Leading a life of deception and finding himself separated from his family. 
separated from his city, from his hopes and his dreams, from everything that he had ever known. And now he is alone and in despair in the middle of nowhere, running for his life. Jacob, and Jacob alone, caused his own separation by his own choices, and not only because of physical separation, but spiritual separation from God. You see, Luz may have been a physical location, but sometimes, sometimes it feels like a place in life that follows us everywhere we go. Sometimes it feels not like we go to a certain place and feel a certain way, but no matter where we go, no matter what we do, we feel this feeling. Jacob found himself far from everything he had known, and worst of all, found himself far from God. See, the reality is that we all, at some point or another, are living in this place in our life, this place called Luz. Whether it was uh, at a time in the past or even right here today in this very place, the worst place that we can be is separated from God. Isaiah 59 verses 2 and 3 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. And just as it was for Jacob, it is for us. It is our sins. It is our iniquities. It is our own wickedness that causes separation between us and the destiny and the purpose that God has for us. It is our own sin and our iniquities that causes us to experience separation from God. And if we live in luz, if we live in a place of separation... We got there on a path that was paved with our sin. Trying to do things on our own power. And today we live in a generation that is crippled by loves. We live in a generation that is crippled by living in separation. We live in a generation that is crippled by anxiety, crippled by depression, crippled by fear, and it is at an all-time high. You can go ahead and look at any article in the world written right now about depression and anxiety and fear for the future, and they will all tell you it's higher and greater than it's ever been. The population of Luz is growing, and it's growing quickly. Y'all think the population in Tri-Cities is growing fast. Stress on top of stress and worry on top of worry. The land of Luz is a harsh place, and it drives us to bitterness and to anger and to depression and to more and more issues. People all around us, but yet we feel so alone and so empty, so separated from everything especially God. You see, feeling separated on earth, that's, that's one thing. But we must find our home before we find ourselves separated for eternity. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 9 says that, uh, speaking the word of God, speaking of eternal separation, says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, 
in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. This is eternity in Luz. When we make Luz our home, For eternity, we can never leave it. Proverbs 12, verse 25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. I think probably every single one of us understands exactly what that's talking about. I know I do. But a good word makes him glad. You see, today's world is not lacking in anxieties. But where is the good word that brings hope? Many people could read this verse and ask that question. Yeah, the anxiety is being weighed down. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I feel that. But where's the good word? Where's the gladness? Where is the hope? You see, when we begin to genuinely seek out the answer to that question is when we find ourselves leaving Luz and finding God, discovering Bethel, not the church in Richland, but the true definition of the word. Genesis 28 verse 11 says, And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. You know, sometimes my kids complain about their beds uncomfortable, or the sheets are crinkly, this dude's sleeping on a rock. He uses a rock as a pillow, and there's a saying that goes, a clear conscience makes a soft pillow. And so I think it's very fitting that at this time of rest, he finds himself using a rock as a pillow. Because Jacob's conscience was anything but clear. You see, he's on the run. He's, as I described before, he's on the run, literally running for his life, literally running from all his problems and only finding more. But Jacob, at the depths of his despair, finds relief, finds the hope. Genesis 28, verses 12 through 19 says, And he dreamed, this is as he's using a rock for a pillow, and he dreamed... And behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land, uh, the land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord was in this place, and I did not know it. 
verse 17, and he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. See, this is remarkable. God reveals himself to Jacob when Jacob was at the lowest of lows. Not when he was trying to, you know, get his life together before coming to God. No, God met him at the depths of the valley of his desperation. Jacob, seemingly hopeless, finds himself hearing directly from God. You see, so often people think, I have to get it together. I have to figure it all out and then I'll come to God and then I'll come to church and, and then I'll... No. We think, I've got to get myself out of loves. I've got to get myself out of this desperation before I can come to God. But in reality, that is truly not what God expects. In fact, that is a lie from the enemy. That we must repair ourselves before we can come to God. That we must save ourselves before Christ can save us. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Christ came to love to our desperation so that he could cleanse us and bring us to God. We don't get it together and then bring ourselves to God. But rather, Christ brings us to him. He extends the ladder right down to us in the pits of our desperation so that we can come to God. You see, the ladder in Jacob's dream literally represents Jesus Christ. The text says, I saw a ladder from earth to heaven and the angels of the Lord were ascending and descending and at the top of it was God. The ladder represents Christ and it is Christ and Christ alone that can get us out of love and into the presence of God. And Jacob learned this lesson this night. He thought to himself, I thought, I thought I had to do this on my own. I thought I had to force my own hand. I thought I would always be living in separation and desperation. But no, God desires to move in my life all along, and he was always here with me. You see, no matter how far we feel from God, no matter how distant he feels from us, he is always always just one prayer away and he is always ready to be in our presence and reveal himself to us and he says Jacob says surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it 
he realizes God was with me this whole time, and I had no idea. Again, we're talking not talking about physical location. Jacob was living in Luz. He was living in desperation, and then God came down and made him, met him, and he realized God was with me all this time, and I had no idea. He is simply just waiting for you. God's not waiting for you to get your life together. You can't, and you won't. He's waiting for you to just turn his way and to trust in him. And then Jacob says he called the name of that place Bethel. And the translation of the name Bethel literally means house of God. That's why it's a cool church name. That's why they, that's why they used it. It literally means house of God. And so Jacob went from Luz to Bethel. He went from separated from God into the house of God without even moving physically. Because again, guys, we're not talking about physical locations. We're talking about spiritual locations. We're talking about where he was at in his life. He went from separated to in the presence of God Literally, without even getting out of bed. Spiritually, he was relocated. And then chapter 28, verses 20 and 22 says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give you a tenth of all that you give me. See, this experience takes Jacob from separated from God to in the house of God and now entrusting his life to God. And sometimes, sometimes when we feel the farthest from God is when God is calling out to us the loudest. You know, what's interesting in this text is that Jacob just goes to bed, man. He wasn't even seeking God. God came down and slapped him with a Holy Spirit dream. But then Jacob had a choice to make. He thought, man, maybe I shouldn't have eaten that weird berry I found in the wilderness last night. That was a crazy dream. Or he could have realized and heard the message that God was speaking to him, the direction and the destiny that God had for him. You see, we tend to do that sometimes. We hear God speak into our lives and go, ah, just a coincidence. Ah, I just got lucky. Or, oh, it just, you know, happened that way. God is speaking directly to us and we write it off. But Jacob heard loud and clear and he responded. And he began his journey with God. See, Jacob realized something that night. That he had done enough damage to his own life, to his brother's life, to his dad, to his family. And that he needed to put his life in God's hands. He had a powerful experience, but he also still had some very 
real issues at hand. I mean, for one, he was stranded in the middle of the desert. And for two, his brother still probably wants to kill him. He had this amazing come to God moment, but his real problems still exist. But he chose to move forward in the promises of God. You see, the reality is, it wasn't all perfect going forward for Jacob. It wasn't that he had this amazing experience with God. He's like, okay, great, God. Yeah, fix everything. Ah. Boom, everything's good. You continue reading his story. And you see that Jacob goes to a land. He finds this woman that he likes. He likes her a lot. So he talks to his dad, her dad, and says, what do I got to do to earn your daughter's wife in marriage? Oh, my gosh. To earn your daughter's hand in marriage? And he says, work for me for seven years. And, you know, the story goes on, and, and he works for seven years, and the Bible says he loved her so much that it was like a week, and it wasn't like seven years, and it was amazing. And then somehow he deceived him into marrying his ugly daughter. That's what the, I didn't make it up, guys. It's what the Bible says. They don't use that word, but they said she was less appealing to the eyes. Somehow he marries this other daughter. It was dark. You know, they didn't have electricity back then. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. He got deceived. He didn't have smooth sailing. And so he's, he's like, Laban, come on, bro. We made a deal. And Laban, being a deceiver like Jacob used to be, says, all right, another seven years, you can have Rachel. You can have the one we agreed on. So he does another seven years and finally gets the bride that he, that he originally wanted. Of course, this is a culture not ordained by God, but a culture that married more than one wife. I wouldn't suggest that for you guys. Uh, don't do it. And, uh, but that's what they did. That's how the story goes. He got deceived. He got misled. He got tricked. But also on the flip side, he also experiences great prosperity and success while laboring in this land under his uncle Laban. And as the story goes on, his uncle sees his success and he begins to get a little bit intimidated by it. And so he begins to try to, to trick him and deceive him some more, you see. And I'm telling you this to remind you that we can have these moments. We can realize I don't have to live in separation. I don't have to live in lust. I have to give my life to God. But as we go forward, there's going to be some bumps in the road. And so he finds favor in this land and he's granted permission to leave with his wife and all his possessions and everything that he accumulated and to return home. God told Jacob to go home and Jacob's like, that's a death sentence. My brother wants to kill me. But he sets out to return home anyway, fearing his brother and what might happen. See, if you read the story of Jacob and Esau, and Esau was like, whoa, man's man. He was the hunter. Like he, he went out, and, and they literally described Jacob as kind of a sissy. <laughs> he stayed in the house and cooked with his mom. That's what the Bible says. So he has reason to be afraid of this man. This is, you know. He's bigger, he's stronger, he's, 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 a, he's a badder dude. But he obeys God anyway, and through that obedience, even though he was afraid, God gives Jacob favor with Esau. And as the story goes, he's 
Esau hears that Jacob's coming and he marches out with some of his, his biggest, baddest dudes and it's about to go down. And then Jacob hears word that this is what's taking place and he's like, okay, that's freaking me out. So we're going to separate a little bit. We're going to strategize a little bit and you guys go ahead and, and give them all these gifts. Tell them I'm sorry. Tell them, tell them please have mercy on me, all of this stuff. And God works on Esau's heart in this time and by the time they finally meet, he's greeted with a hug. Happily ever after. God restores the relationship. God creates protection from his enemies for Jacob along his way and his people's way. The story also says they come on the outskirts of hostile territory and God shielded their eyes from them. You see, it's important to remember that when we finally give our lives up to God, and this was the theme of our testimony night, unintentionally, surrender all. When we finally surrender it all to God, listen, there are going to be bumps in the road, but there are also going to be times where you experience supernatural protection, and I believe most of the time you had no idea it was even there. But it was through these experiences where Jacob learned the true value of all of this. We see a little bit later on, Genesis 35, verses 6 through 7, which says, And Jacob came to Luz, that is now Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. This is interesting. Another name change. It's like they just put up the welcome to Bethel sign and he's changing it to El Bethel. Returning to Bethel, the place where God revealed himself to Jacob. And he recalls his experiences that day and going forward. And he builds an altar to God. And he calls it El Bethel. Renamed once again, but this word, this name rather, El Bethel, means God of the house of God. You see, previously, Jacob said, God is in this place, and he was right. But as he returns to Bethel, he realized something, that God was with me all along. You see, Jacob had an experience that he would never forget in that very place, his first real encounter with God. But since leaving that place, he gained something that was far more valuable a relationship with the God of the house of God. A relationship that didn't just stay in the house of God. See, sometimes we seek experiences of God rather than the God of the experiences. There's so many people who are, you know, what they call Sunday morning Christians or even CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. And they, they want the God of the experiences, but they, or they want the experiences of God when it's convenient, but they don't want the God of the experiences. They seek the experience of worship rather than the God we worship himself. We seek the wisdom of the Bible rather than the God of the Bible himself. 
We seek the miracles, the signs and wonders rather than the God of the miracles, signs and wonders. We want all the benefits, but we don't want to actually know the man. See, Jacob found God through his experiences with God. But through life's experiences, he realized that God can be found everywhere. Not just at the house of God, not just in Bethel, not just at church on Sundays, but he realized that God went with him all the way to the land that he, that he labored in and all the way back home and everywhere in between, that God can be found everywhere in every area of life if he looked for him there. Because he realized even though everything wasn't perfect, that God was with him. Not everything we experience will be good. But we can go through them with God, just as Jacob did. And we can realize that our God is God in the highs just as much as he is God in the lows. And rather than seeking the experiences, we can seek God himself. No matter what we are experiencing, both good and bad, God is greater than our experiences. And coming to know him more and more regardless of what we experience is when we go from Luz to Elbethel is when we go from desperation and separation to a personal walk with God, walking in purpose, in the presence of God. Is when we finally find freedom from this place that we never thought we'd get out of. And we can walk in purpose with God with us, everywhere we go. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this evening.